Good morning, Four Oaks. Happy Easter. Let's let the sound of God's praise be heard in our homes all across our city and beyond. Let's celebrate because Jesus Christ is alive. He is risen. He is victorious over sin and death. Let's worship together as his church. Good. 
What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written? For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. you were here with us this morning. I wish I could hear your voices singing, see your hands raised, to feel the encouragement of a packed room of worshipers, the one true king. But if we hold to the truth of the resurrection, and we do, then we know that this life with all of its brokenness and disease and loneliness and heartache is not the end. It's not the end. 
And that's why Jesus died. To end the reign of sin and death and to take the curse upon himself and to give us abundant and new life. So we worship around the resurrection this morning. So yes, look to Calvary, look to the cross, look to the tomb, but then look to the throne where Jesus has risen, where he is seated on high at the right hand of the Father for you and for me. Be encouraged by this scripture this morning. It says, knowing this, that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So let's, as his church, respond and sing. Let's worship him. Oh, yeah. 
in robes of white the blazing sun shall pierce the night and I will rise among the saints my gaze transfixed on Jesus that we celebrate. There's a celebration happening. We know that Jesus' death was a substitution for our death and for our sin. Our sin is real. It it enslaved us. It kept us from enjoying the very presence of of God as his people. This has happened ever since Adam was driven away from the perfect garden that God had created for him. But he wants to bring us back. He wants to bring you back. He wants you to be free from inescapable shame and sin. So today is a celebration. A celebration that we, though we were dead in our sins, Jesus made us alive. We celebrate a living Savior and we celebrate a living hope. The scripture says this to us, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. For the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Then 
lay between us how high the mountains I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night then through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul the work is finished the end is written Jesus Christ my living hope
hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand.
pray. God, I just ask that your truth would sink deep within our hearts as we come to you this morning from wherever we are in our homes. Lord, would you fill your church a sense of your presence only possible through the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's you that we praise. It's in you that we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, and welcome to Four Oaks Killarn, albeit virtually. We so wish we could be together face-to-face physically, but at least we're connected not only technologically, but most importantly, spiritually, as the Spirit of God is uniting our hearts as one in worshiping our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who not only died for our sins, but who also rose from the dead. And right now it is seated at the right hand of God and who is praying for us and who is preparing a place for us where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more coronavirus, where everything is made new. And we can be assured of that because Jesus once and for all conquered Satan, sin, and death. And so it's just a great joy for us to worship him together today. If you are a guest with us, we're particularly grateful that you joined us. You can click on the connect button to let us know that you're here. We'd love to serve you, answer any questions you might have, and get to know you a little bit. In addition to that, if you are relatively new to Four Oaks, we'd love to invite you to something called Four Oaks in 40, in which we set apart about 40 minutes of your time virtually to get to know Pastor Paul and get to know our church family and then give you an opportunity to ask any questions that you might have about who we are as a church. And we just want to serve you in any way we can. And so you can mark that connect card and let us know if you plan on coming to that next weekend. In addition to that, you know, even though our building doors are closed, our ministry doors are wide open. And there's so many different ways that we are already coming together as the body of Christ. Pastor Paul has been leading a devotional through the book of Acts every morning at 8 a.m. We as pastors are leading a prayer at noontime as well. Uh, Pastor Rob is leading a, a youth devotional every morning. And, uh, and then we also have some student ministries and children's ministry programming on Wednesday night and Sunday morning. And then all of our groups are gathering together virtually as well, whether it be our community groups or our re-engaged marriage ministry or our redemption groups or our men's women's Bible studies. There's so many different ways to plug in. And so if you were not plugged into those things, we encourage you to go to forexcalarn.com slash the hub and let us know that you'd like to participate. We'd love to get you connected that way as well. One other thing we just want to thank you for is your um, giving. We, we recognize that this is a challenging time for us, and at the same time, we are dependent upon the gifts of the grace of God through His people. And so we encourage you to continue to give um, online uh, through our text giving or our new giving platform called Planning Center, or you can still give via cash or checks as well. But we just want to encourage you to continue to, to partner with us in seeing the gospel trans form our city and our world through your gifts. And last but not least, um, I just want to remind you of this, that we are worshiping our risen Lord. And so let me read to you a passage of scripture from Psalm 16 as we continue to worship him together. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
Good morning, Four Oaks. Pastor Paul here. We're so glad that you are dialing in with us this morning. You know, it's a strange thing. I'm over here in the corner of a dark corner of the Killarn Auditorium. I'm looking around. There's nobody in here except the few faithful who helped to pull all this together. And it's just a reminder, and Pastor Joe mentioned this as he was leading worship, we, we miss you. We are looking forward to that day that we can all do this in person together again. But just to encourage you, here's two cool things that have kind of come out of this season. Um, the first is about six, nine months ago, a family here in the church um, approached me and said, hey, you know, your, your live stream looks like um, a cartoon uh, show. It looks like an Etch-A-Sketch. We can barely hear it, see it. We would love to invest all the money and resources necessary to get you guys fully up to speed. Now, this was six, nine months ago. And so we started doing what you're seeing now uh, just a few months ago. And of course, this thing hits the coronavirus and we're forced to kind of go virtual and online. And just thinking back, Four Oaks, six, nine months ago, God was thinking about us. He was preparing us. He was providing the resources necessary. And so I know this family wouldn't want me to mention their names, but, but just thank God for the generosity of the Four Oaks family and for this particular family as they made just a significant financial investment so that we can do what we're doing now. Um, a second pretty interesting thing that's occurred as we've had to go virtual for all of our services and ministries is that there are a lot of you tuning in right now um, who might not otherwise have been doing that. Maybe you've heard about Four Oaks from a neighbor or family member or coworker or, or roommate or met somebody on a walk in your, in your neighborhood. And if you're one of those folks, we are so glad that you are joining us. We'd love an opportunity to connect with you. And one of the things that Pastor Scott mentioned in his announcements is this coming Saturday at high noon, we're going to do something that we call Four Oaks in 40. I'm going to, I'm going to be live streaming. We're going to take about 40 minutes, give or take, um, to, to do an interactive Q&A with those of you who want to know more about the church. I'm going to be sharing a little bit about uh, Four Oaks, who we are, but also taking questions online and, and responding to those sort of in real time. And, and if you want to know more about who we are, how to get connected, where, what we're about, all that good stuff, we'd love for you to join us for that time. That'll be next Saturday, high noon, right here on our live stream channel. But for today, Matthew chapter 27. And I'm going to read this passage. We're going to begin at verse 62 in Matthew 27 and read down through verse 15 of Matthew 28. And if you have your Bible, you can follow along or we're going to put the words right up there for you. Let's hear the word of God this morning. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days, I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. 
His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Let's pray and commit our time to the Lord this morning. Heavenly Father, if what we're reading is true, and we believe it is, then this changes, it transforms everything. Nothing can remain the same. We know it it was transformative for these disciples, feared, scared, afraid, but almost instantaneously by the certainty of seeing you, their lives, their ministries, their hearts, their families were transformed and the world was transformed. And Lord, this story is just as true now as it was then. It's just as relevant now as it was then. We just need fresh eyes to see it to hear it, and for you to do your work in our hearts through your spirit. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So Good Friday has come and gone. And and by the way, thanks for everyone who joined us online for our Good Friday um, communion celebration. That was a special time. I think we'll always look back as a church family. But Good Friday in the life of the disciples has come and gone. It's now Saturday. It's the Sabbath. Everything is quiet. The streets in Jerusalem are empty, except for the religious leaders. They are scurrying around in the back alley, so to speak. And they come and have this secret meeting with Pilate, and they sort of whisper in Pilate's ear, Pilate, when Jesus was alive, he kept telling everybody he was going to be raised on the third day, raised back to life. And so we know this is a fraud, and we don't want the disciples to steal his body and perpetuate this fraud, making it worse than the first. So give us a company of soldiers that can go and guard the tomb. So Pilate grants their requests. Pilate, probably by this point in time, is sick and tired of dealing with the religious leaders and their intramural religious squabbles, and he'll do anything to sort of rid himself of all of this once and for all. And so he grants their request. So verse 2 of chapter 28 tells us that these guards proceed to stand watch, and then, verse 2, there was an earthquake, 
Matthew tells us, and an angel descended from heaven and rolled back the stone and sat on top of that. It can be, it's almost a humorous picture if you think about it for a second. Now, we've read this passage, or you may have grown up in Sunday school hearing this passage or this narrative so many times that the details can become somewhat trite or distant. But, but lest we forget, this was a moment of just absolute pure shock and awe that was being unleashed on these guards. They didn't know what to do. Matthew says they trembled, and in the Greek it literally means they shook in their boots. They became like dead men. Now, that's the same word that the Apostle John uses in Revelation chapter 1 when Jesus, the risen Jesus, showed up and appeared to him, and how John was just laying prostrate on, prostrate on the ground, face first, hugging the dirt, trying to, to get as low as he could because of just the terror that he was in. And so it was with these guards. For us, it would be like a superhero showing up and doing their thing, right? Thor with his hammer, Captain America with his shield, Iron Man with his, I don't know, with his all-around awesomeness. You get the idea. This is the guards as they're witnessing all this. And while they're lying there, they overhear this extraordinary conversation. This is a conversation between the angel and the women. And the angel proceeds to tell them, ladies, Jesus has risen. So don't stay here. Go back, tell the disciples Tell them to meet Jesus in Galilee. Meet me in Galilee. Sounds like a folk song, right? Um, And to which they do. Now, we have to remember, as guards of the tomb, as these soldiers are overhearing this whole interaction, they would have been held responsible and punished by death for failure. And so they were highly motivated to tell the truth here. They were highly motivated to go back to the religious leaders, which they did ASAP, to tell them what had happened. And verse 12 tells us in chapter 28 that these religious leaders then proceed to convene this sort of grand poobah kind of meeting. They're going to figure out what to do. And they decide at that time, this is just, let's try to sweep this under the rug as quick as we can. Let's bribe the soldiers to tell them, for them to tell people that it was Jesus' disciples who came and stole the body. And, and, and in exchange for this, we'll cover for you. If this ever comes back to Pilate and he wants to know what's happened, we'll cover for you or we'll, 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 we'll lie in some way and deceive him too. Now, here's the question of the day. Here's where we want to fast forward from 2,000 years ago to right here. Here's the question. We have to ask this. Why didn't the religious leaders believe that Jesus had risen from the grave? Why was this, why were they, why were they so incredulous about this? Because remember, Jesus had predicted it. They had seen the other miracles Jesus had done. And here there were eyewitnesses who would be highly motivated not to lie, telling them what actually happened, why didn't they believe? Now, the answer to that question, I believe, is so shocking 
because it's so obvious. You know, a lot of times you, you hear it said, sometimes the most obvious answer is the correct answer, right? And I believe that the actions of the leaders can be explained, not by the fact that they didn't believe that Jesus was resurrected. It's that they did believe he was resurrected. And that is the only thing I think that can explain their actions here. We're going to unpack that in a second, but let me restate what I'm saying here. It's not that the religious leaders didn't know who Jesus was. It's that they knew precisely who he was and what he had done, and that's why they did what they did. Now, why do I say that? Well, of course, they had a front row seat to his ministry for three years. Not merely, but weeks before, they had seen Jesus heal a man born blind in the temple under their very noses. They had watched how he had healed a man that was lame from birth at the pool of Bethesda. They had seen him not five days before raise a dead man, Lazarus, from the grave and watch it ignite all of Jerusalem. They had also seen his teaching, his authority. Jesus had spent this prior week teaching in the temples, and it says that his teaching was so astounding that no one could say anything in response to him. And in fact, the, the temple guards at one point in Jesus' ministry had noted to the Pharisees, no one teaches like this man. See, the religious leaders knew precisely what Jesus could do. And you may say, they're in your home this morning, but, but Pastor Paul, if they knew who Jesus was, if they knew that he rose from the grave, why didn't they turn to him? Why didn't they follow him? Why didn't they trust him? If they knew it to be true, why, didn't, why wasn't this compelling enough to get them to follow him, to put their faith in him? You know, it's not so strange when you consider that this is precisely our situation today. Did a little research online, which can always be dangerous, and tried to note um, statistically how many adult Americans believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he performed miracles, and that he, in fact, rose from the grave. A full 65% of Americans, that's hundreds of millions, over half, well over half, that's enough to elect a president, by the way, all affirm, oh yes, I, I, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Oh yes, I believe that he rose from the grave. Oh yeah, I believe he did great things. But yet, many, most who would say that are just like the religious leaders, reluctant to entrust their lives to this man from Galilee, from this carpenter from this man who claimed to be the son of God. And when we ask the question, why? I think we're going to find that the reason is the same for the religious leaders as it is for us. And so looking at this text, I came up with three, three reasons for why the religious leaders might refuse to follow Jesus. 
And they all have to do with giving up or the fear of giving up control. And when I, as we kind of walk through these three reasons, I think this is going to be an invitation to us, Four Oaks, to see ourselves in them. See, it's very easy to say, well, you know, if I was there, I would have, I, I would have, it would have been completely different. Well, this is an opportunity to, and it, particularly if you are someone who's sort of on the outside, someone that you might refer to yourself as spiritual but not religious, someone who's, who's maybe kind of interested from a distance at what's going on over there, and who is this Jesus person? We'll see if we can locate our selves in this story. So three reasons the soldiers feared giving up control. Three areas I think are particularly well relevant. And the first is they feared giving up control of people's perceptions. See, now when you read the Gospels, you will realize that the religious leaders, everything they did was calculated to gain notoriety and attention. It was calculated for them to be noticed for people to think highly of them. That's why they took great um, positions of honor and authority. They put great emphasis on the way they dressed, on the way they talked, on the way they prayed publicly. These would be the 21st century version of, of the social media influencers, right? Those who gauge their worth in terms of likes and visits and followers and tweets and retweets. These were people, these religious leaders who thrived, lived on the affirmation and praise of other people, which meant for them at this point to acknowledge that they had been wrong to acknowledge that they had been mistaken, not just kind of mistaken, but gravely mistaken. For them to, at this point in time, acknowledge that they had been in error would have been, in their minds, unbearable. See, they had placed all their worth, all their value in what people thought about them. You know, if you think about it, you and I are not that dissimilar, are we? What keeps you and I from apologizing when we, had a, we have a fight in our marriage or with a friend or a conflict with someone at work? What, what keeps us from apologizing more quickly, or if at all? And we always know that the bottom of that is pride, right? It's, it's, it, we're afraid of being humbled, of admitting weakness, of looking weak. We're afraid that people will think less of us. And so we have to guard ourselves and others from the truth, lest they really knew the truth and would reject us. But here, Four Oaks, is the gospel truth this morning. As we humble ourselves before Jesus, as we place our faith in him, there is an amazing exchange that happens at that point. See, what the gospel does, it takes the conditional approval of others, by the way, which we will never get to the degree that we think will satisfy our souls. It takes the, the approval we desperately seek of others and it exchanges it for the unconditional acceptance of God. Conditional for unconditional. Performance, my performance, 
my righteousness, my look, my feel, my influence exchanged for Christ's righteousness, Christ's reputation, Christ's affirmation of me, Christ's acceptance of me by virtue of his death on the cross and resurrection. And so what Jesus offers us is real freedom from people's perceptions. But it can be a powerful thing. It can be something that keeps us bound. It can, it can be something that, you know, Pastor Paul, if, if, gosh, if I were to like actually put my faith in Jesus and follow Jesus and acknowledge that the resurrection is like real and has meaning for me right now, I mean, what will my coworkers think? What will my family think? What will, this will stop my progression up the, the, the ladder, the you know, promotions, raises, reputation, my standing in the community, which, let's be honest, let's all acknowledge, is just like the wind. It's just like a mist. And Jesus says, I'm going to exchange others' approval, which is conditional, for my approval, which is unconditional. So I think they were afraid of losing control of people's perceptions, just like we are. But second thing, I think the religious leaders were fearful of losing control of their religious perspective. That's number two. See, the religious leaders were the gold standard of religious activity in that time. Their rules, their regulations, their laws. But what Jesus wanted to continually show them through his three years of ministry is that they had fundamentally misunderstood the Old Testament. They had gotten it wrong, and primarily around one crucial point. See, the religious leaders thought that there was something that they could do externally in order to make themselves acceptable to God. See, their whole life was built around this idea that, that it is through the observance of certain rituals and laws and rites and ceremonies and foods and, and the way we dress and the way we pray and the way that we talk that, that if we can somehow conform these things externally, then this will make God love us. This is the, this is the pathway to achieve righteousness with God. So when Jesus came on the scene... He repeatedly pointed out that not only had they created their own religion with man-made rules and regulations, and much of the stuff that they taught and observed was not in the Old Testament. Jesus came and said, "It's, it's, it's not the external stuff that's your problem. It's the internal stuff. It's the inside. See, he called them whitewashed tombs. In other words, they look great on the outside, but what they're hiding inside is really decay and death and rotting flesh. And here, Jesus is continually reminding them in, in his ministry that it does no good to, to, to scrub the decks of the Titanic, so to speak. Not when you're full of greed, religious leaders, and envy and power and control. See, they had adopted a religious perspective that created a standard that they thought they could attain. And ultimately what it did is it, it, practically speaking, put them in a place where they no longer needed God. 
You know, every one of us, just like the religious leaders, has a religious perspective. You may say, what do you mean, Pastor Paul? I'm an atheist. I'm an agnostic. You know, all of us have a perspective, whether you call it religious, spiritual worldview, about the way we think about life, about where we find ultimate meaning in life and what gives life meaning and how we have meaning and such. And even if we don't consider ourselves particularly religious, we still have a worldview that attempts to make sense of what we do and what we don't do, right? See, and the problem, our problem is just the same as the religious leaders. We can conform our externals, and maybe it's by things that we wear or things that we eat or accomplishments or how fast we climb up the corporate ladder or what our kids achieve as we live vicariously through them. But we know deep down, don't we, that no matter what the externals look like, they can't change the internals. And Jesus wanted to repeatedly come back to them and say, your problem is not on the outside. Your problem is on the inside. And the only way I can help you fix your problem is by you admitting that you have one. You know, interestingly, we, we think the way that we achieve purpose and meaning and significance is, is by living in denial of the sin in our life. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's exactly the opposite. It's when we acknowledge what's happening in here that Jesus can change us and he will change us. See, the whole point of the gospel, Four Oaks, is that you and I can never do enough. We cannot change ourselves. We cannot, um, we cannot reshape our own hearts. That's something only through the power of the Spirit, only by Jesus coming into our lives and transforming us from the inside out, can we be the people that he has called us to be. And so they were afraid of, I think, these religious leaders of losing control of their religious perspective. And let's be honest, we're in the same boat, aren't we? One third and final reason, one other area where they feared losing control And I think this gets right to the bottom of it. They feared losing control of their personal choices. See, at the end of the day, just like us, they wanted to do what they wanted to do. They thought, just like we do, that my greatest joy, my greatest happiness, my greatest peace comes in my ability to be free, to be autonomous, to act individually. Now here's the problem though. You know, no matter how much freight we invest in that, it doesn't ever seem to work, right? Because we are all going to be enslaved to something. We are all going to be driven in our choices by something. And whatever that thing that drives us, that's the thing that we're enslaved to. For some of us, it's money or sex or power, or reputation, or other people's acceptance. And Jesus says those things are idols. They'll never satisfy. They never do. You'll always be enslaved to them, and they'll always disappoint you. They'll always turn their back on you. They'll never give you what you desperately want. Only I can do that. 
And so Jesus says, I offer you a different kind of enslavement entirely. And this is not an enslavement that will destroy your soul. This is a lordship, my lordship, over your life that will give you peace and joy. It will give you a clear conscience from your sin. It will take away the spirit of condemnation that sort of lures and reigns over your heart. It's a peace that will result in a reconciled relationship to God. It will give you a community of believers who will walk alongside in life together. In fact, it will give you eternal life itself. And Jesus says, you fear losing your life. But here's the paradox, church. When we fear losing our lives and hold on to our lives, we lose it. This is why Jesus tells us over and over, he who holds on to his life will lose it, but he who gives up his life for my sake will find it. That's because the life Jesus offers is the abundant one. I'm going to close with, with, with this story, and, and if you've been around Four Oaks for, for a season, this is an illustration you've heard before. But my wife and I, we're big fans of The Wonder Years. It's a sitcom made back in the 80s about a family growing up in American suburbia in the early 70s, and it centers around this young man named Kevin Arnold. And Kevin, in this particular episode, is an eighth grader, and he's part of the cool group, so to speak. But in their health class, their PE class, he ends up being paired with the class nerd to learn square dancing. And he gets paired with this girl named Margaret Barkvar. Yep, didn't make that up. Look it up, but not right now. Margaret Barkvar. And it's it's here that, that all, the, all the friends that Kevin have make fun of him. He's been paired up with the class nerd, and um, she's not the prettiest girl in the class, and he kind of endures their ridicule. But what happens over the course of this episode is that, to his surprise, Kevin ends up becoming really good friends with Margaret. And he actually enjoys her and likes her as a friend, and they develop this relationship. Well, when the class dance class is ending... She sort of asked Kevin, well, what happens here now that we don't have to meet anymore? I guess we get to go, go on being friends. And Kevin says, you know, Margaret, maybe you and I, would, it would be better for us if we were just secret friends, right? We don't have to tell anybody. And, of course, Margaret is deeply hurt by this because she knows that Kevin is embarrassed to be her friend. And so the next day at school, all the boys are making fun of Margaret again, and, and there's a voiceover of the, of the adult Kevin saying, you know, I wish I had the guts, the courage to tell those boys what I really thought, what I really felt, to take up for Margaret. Then he says something amazingly profound. He just says, but who you are in the eighth grade is who other people say that you are. And I think we can reframe that and say, who we are in our culture, our image-driven culture, is so often who we believe other people say that we are. But the gospel of grace comes and frees us from all of that. Jesus says it doesn't matter what people think. It, it, it doesn't 
It ultimately is not even dependent upon not just what they think, but upon what you do. It's ultimately dependent upon what I have done for you. The opinion that matters the most is mine. And when you place your faith and trust in me, nothing can separate you from my love. You are forgiven. You are cleansed. There is no condemnation. I have offered you the abundant life, eternal life, through me. So the soldiers have given their report. What say you? What say you? Who are you in this story? Because you can believe intellectually all the facts of the resurrection, but the only thing that is life-giving is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Please let us know, church, as pastors and elders, how we can talk to you about this, how we can serve you. Mark that Connect card. It would be our highest, greatest honor and privilege to tell you more about this man, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask and we pray, Lord, that you would, this season, remove whatever it is that keeps us from you, that keeps us from Jesus. Would, Lord, please, whether it's people's perceptions or fear of others or, or fear of letting go, fear of giving up our, our lives, Lord, let us know that that is the only pathway to true life, joy, abundant life, peace found in you. And so, Lord, I pray that as we walk away from this time today, that you would give us fresh eyes to see, and that in seeing, that we would turn to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.
Four Oaks, we are um, incredibly thankful that you tuned in this morning. And you can go online to fouroakscalarn.com, the hub, find just a ton of ways to connect during this season. Um, again, we do a, a monthly, I'm sorry, a, a, a daily study through the book of Acts. I'm leading at 8 a.m. every morning that we, we live stream. The pastors do daily prayer times at noon every day. The Pipers have stuff going on for children and students and women's Bible studies, all sorts of, of things that you can find there. You can also give. And please, there's a Connect card, digital card, to let us know how we can serve you in this season. We know um, it's an incredibly difficult time for many of you um, financially and just in a whole host of other ways. And please let us know how we can pray for you. The elders, we still gather virtually on Tuesdays to pray. So we'd love to lift you up this week. Now, go in peace with this benediction. Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Go forward in peace today, grounded church in that amazing truth of the resurrection. God bless. Have a great Lord's Day.